Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You can now listen to Restoration Place on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or by downloading the Spreaker app to your phone or tablet. This week at Restoration Place. We have people who are coming to church because they're not reading the employee handbook, the basic instructions before leaving earth. They are not reading the contract. And if you don't read the contract, people can take advantage of you. But you have to be skilled enough. And how do you become skilled enough? You spend time reading the employee handbook. You spend time with the owner of the establishment so that he can tell you when you don't understand something in the employee handbook, you can go to him and say, I don't understand this. Can you make sense of this? Praise God for whom all blessings flow. Welcome to this place of restoration. Minister Thomas Gilbert. Uh, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord. Uh, please sit down, sit down, sit down. Um, I give the Lord another praise just for the youth and their enthusiasm. Um, they really do look forward, you know, to singing on the fourth Sunday. Um, just getting up and giving God praise. They, yes, yes. Even the songs that sometimes they hear, they like to listen to, uh, you might not know who this is, but Pentatonics, and they sing this song, and it says, uh, you know, who runs the world? And they change the, they change the lyrics to Jesus. Um, so, so they do, they do have uh, a, a strong zeal and a strong desire to be pleasing unto God, even at an early age. And so I do thank God for that because... Um, if uh, you've been some of the places I've been and seen some of the colleges that I've seen and how uh, how there is no faith in God or no belief that God even exists, um, no acknowledgement of him in any way. And so um, I, I do thank God. I don't want to uh, stay on that very long. But uh, giving honor to God, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, uh, to the Holy Spirit is placed within me, to our pastor and co-pastor, uh, my beautiful wife and family, everyone here in the house of God. I do not take this um, engagement lightly. Uh, I say that all the time um, because I know uh, how hard it can be sometimes um, to, to groom people and to groom ministers for the gospel. And so I thank you for just being the man of God and the example that you are. Uh, Baldwin says... Um, that not often do children listen to their parents, but quite a bit they do imitate them. <laughs> and so I thank you for being someone that I can imitate and emulate. Uh, like Paul told Timothy, follow me as I follow Christ. And so I thank God that, you know, you are the example that you are. Um, 
I have a lot to say. I don't think I will get through it all today. Uh, just as I begin to delve into the scriptures that I was looking at, particularly the familiar passages that I'm going to give to you today, if you don't mind uh, opening your Bibles and um, to uh, 2 Timothy. We're going to start uh, 2 Timothy, the second chapter, 15th verse. Put your finger there. Put your finger in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And then the primary focus of my text, uh, of, of my message, will come from a very familiar passage of Scripture in John chapter 4. But we're going to start at the 19th verse, read through the 26th, and then skip down to the 40th. So again, just so you have it uh, for your hearing, and if you want to write it down in your notes, we're going to start at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, John 4, 19 19 through 26 and we're going to skip down to verse 40 while you're finding that let me just uh pray father god in the mighty name of jesus we thank you lord god we thank you for waking us up this morning getting started and on our way we thank you dear heavenly father that we are still among the land of the living able to have another opportunity to do right what we couldn't do yesterday another opportunity for you to still work in us while we are here for you to use us to minister to those who do not know you father god to to draw closer to you while we are yet here father god for your spirit to guide and direct us right now father god i ask in the mighty name of jesus that you would use me lord god that i would decrease that your spirit may increase their heavenly father my mouth is yours lord god my mind is yours my heart is yours to do with as you will use this vessel uh all the things that you have placed within me to use in this time of need in this time to minister their heavenly father i am yours to use freely their heavenly father let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight O lord my strength and my redeemer their heavenly father prepare the hearts of those who are here those who are listening online on the playback father god that their hearts may be turned break up any follow ground father god that they may be able to receive the seed that is planted on this day and that they may receive the word willingly as good bereans searching the scriptures to see if these things may be true in the mighty name of jesus we pray and thank you amen, amen. all right um if you got it you got it if you don't you're going to hear it <laughs> so uh second timothy chapter 2 verse 15 simply says very familiar passage it says study to show thyself approved unto god a workman that needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth first peter chapter 3 verse 15 but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear then we're going to go over to John chapter 4, where we'll uh, focus the bulk of the text on. First two, I'm just going to make very short points about, but they are relative to what I want to talk to you about today, so they are necessary. The woman in John chapter 4, starting at verse 19, again, very familiar passage. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, well, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You, focus scripture, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. 
The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And just for the sake of, of reading, I'm going to read before I skip down to the 40th. I'm just going to read to the 30th here. Just At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, hmm. went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him, skipping down to verse 40. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed with them two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Pay attention to that. Then said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this indeed is the Christ, the savior of the world. Um. So imagine with me, if you will, you're starting a new job. And when you start this job, they give you an employee handbook. You get the employee handbook and instead of cracking it open to see the rules and the benefits, you cast it aside and you take on uh, the job of doing whatever it is that you're doing. And while you're doing the job, people are telling you about the job. They're telling you the rules. They're telling you the benefits. And everything that they're telling you seems to be true. It seems like it's working for them, right? They seem successful. They seem to prosper at the job. But all you know about them is what you see when you go to work. You know little to nothing about them except for the little testimonies that they give you here and there. You've never really met the owner of the business. You just go by what people tell you about him. I wonder how much you were missing out on be it rules, be it benefits, be it anything, because you have not read the handbook. This is the same issue that's happening in many churches around the world today, especially in America. We go to church on Sundays and we hear things that sound more like motivational speaking and life coaches. People are no longer preaching the gospel. And what I mean by the gospel is you'll find it. And these are, these are scriptures I really want you to write down. So if, if you are holding a phone or something, if, if you just, you know, watch it, listen to it on the playback, write these scriptures down and go to them. Because what I'm giving you are, are answers to questions that people will ask you. Because I find it, we get so focused on these deep things about psychology and and. and um, and, and psychology and philosophy that we miss out on what the gospel really is. And Paul lays it out for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can start at the third verse and just read down to about the fifth or sixth. And if you want to keep reading to the knife, it's just he, he talks about who Jesus appeared to. But within the third through fifth, he talks about what the gospel actually is. And so when you read those scriptures, in the Bible, you see what Paul was really talking about when we talk about what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes. right? It's that Christ came, that he died, was buried and raised again and still lives. And it's according to the scriptures. Yes. But people don't read the Bible anymore. People will take your word for it because you've got a platform mm -hmm. or because you're on social media and you've got a following. And so when you're not reading the employee handbook, you are missing out on the benefits. You are missing out. It may seem to be working. And this is how traditions get developed. And traditions aren't always right. I do understand the importance of traditions. 
but they aren't always right. And even Christ told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, your traditions make the word of God to no effect. They make the word of God be, be not effective because you do these simple traditions. The traditions aren't the point. The word of God is. And if you're not reading the employee handbook, one, we, uh, my wife was uh, telling the kids uh, just recently, uh, I don't know if it was last week or, or uh, this week past, where she was telling them the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth, the acronym that we learned in, in Sunday school. And, and they, they kind of liked it, you, you know what I mean? And it made them a little more interested in, in what the Bible says. And so we have people who are coming to church because they're not reading the employee handbook, the basic instructions before leaving earth. They are not reading the contract. And if you don't read the contract, people can take advantage of you. Right. And so we have people who are coming to church and they are leaving every Sunday. They are um, emotionally energized, but um, they are not enlightened. They are entertained, but not educated, enthusiastic about the promises of God, but not equipped to go through the process that they will have to go through to obtain the qualities that are necessary to maintain the blessings of God, to possess the blessings of God. And so we get all this excitement but we have no armor. We have no weaponry because we have no word. We have no ability to stand. And this is what we stand on. And so in a nutshell, God is not in the business of just making you feel good. He's in the business of maturing you. And sometimes maturity doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. And this is what I was trying to say this morning when, when I was giving my testimony, Pastor B. I, I know you are a very intelligent man and you are, you know, you're, you're profound when it comes to articulating the scriptures. But I know your heart and I know you don't want to hurt people, but sometimes people going to get hurt. I was teaching Josiah how to ride a bike. Me and Nikki, we were teaching him how to ride a bike. And guess what? He fell on the bike several times. One time really bad. And he still got the scar on his leg. But guess what? He know how to ride a bike now. Yes. And sometimes we will fall. Sometimes we will get hurt. Sometimes people who are trying to learn something new, it's like like uh, people get offended, right? They will get offended. But I used this analogy and I posted it on Facebook one time. I said, people are offended by the truth because when you are in a dark room and you are sleeping and someone walks in and turns the light on, it blinds you. And that blindness can be painful. But eventually you will start to see because now the light is on. Yeah. And so the initial incursion of pain is necessary for you to really begin to open your eyes and see in the light. Yeah. It's a shifting. It's a changing. Change is not always comfortable. Mm -hmm. Change does not always feel good. So what Peter and Paul are saying are basically the same thing in the scriptures uh, that I read to you. Um, Paul is saying he wants Timothy to teach with precision. Right. That he may have God's approval, not the approval of men, but that he may have God's approval. So I, I don't he's saying to Timothy, I'm not really concerned about uh, um, people's emotional state. I'm not really concerned about uh, uh, if they believe you or not. I'm more concerned about does God approve your message? Right. Study to show yourself approved a work study to show yourself approved unto God unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you have to be skilled. God is not just a rewarder of those who seek him, but those who diligently seek him. And that's what, that's what Paul is saying to Timothy here. So Paul and Peter are basically saying the same thing. They're just saying your attentions are directed at two different groups of people. Because what Peter is saying is people will attack you because of what you believe. Truth. Right? 
And Peter is saying, be ready to offer a defense. In a nutshell, what he is saying is this is how we communicate to non-believers. But you have to be skilled enough. And how do you become skilled enough? You spend time reading the employee handbook. Yeah. You spend time with the owner of the establishment so that he can tell you when you don't understand something in the employee handbook, you can go to him and say, I don't understand this. Can you make sense of this? This seems like a contradiction. Usually when you find contradictions in the Bible, it's what's called a remez, a hint of something deeper, which means that there is something else going on in the text. R-E-M-E-Z, remez. It, it's, a, it's a hint of something deeper. It means that it's, it's sort of like, um, it, it's, it's not necessarily a parable. Well, that would be more midrash. But it's, um, it's something that's presented to you, and you say, how could this be when... Um, when this says this over here, mm -hmm. right? And when you look at it, when you begin to look at it and you understand the context, you start to see exactly what's being said. And I'll, I'll break this down a little more as we get further into what I'm talking about. But for now, just know that most contradictions are what's called remez. And in some cases, when we read the Bible in English, they're not just remezes, they're uh, copious errors. And so when you go and you look at the footnotes, which a lot of people don't do, this is explained. When you see words in the Bible, in the King James Bible, and they are italicized, this usually means that this makes the text flow, but it's not in the original Hebrew. We're not trying to hide anything as Christians. If you ask us a question, we want to give you the best biblical founded answer that we possibly can. We're not trying, to, not trying to disguise anything or say anything that is not true because we are held accountable as ministers of the gospel, more held more accountable to what we teach than more so than laymen, quote unquote that term, uh, than, than laymen are who just simply come to church to sit in a pew and hear the word of God or who just read the word of God but don't necessarily teach. Ministers are held to a higher standard and this is one of the reasons Paul was saying everybody shouldn't desire to be a minister because you're held to a higher standard. Yes, yes. And so uh, we read when we, when we get into this, see, it, it's about relationship. In order for you to truly begin to study and to desire uh, to, to get into the word and to spend time and devotion with the Holy Spirit, you need the doctrine and you need the devotion. We talked about this on the prayer call when we talked about the church of Ephesus and Christ saying, return to your first love. He was talking to the church of Ephesus where they had the doctrine. This is where Pastor B plays a major part in my life because I can get way out in left field sometimes studying the doctrine. And he's like, well, Trey, you got to spend time with the Lord to really get back to what he's saying to you and what this really means. And so there is doctrine and then there's devotion. You read the word for the doctrine. You read the handbook to understand what it is saying to you. But you go to the owner and you say, what did you really mean by this? What, how, do, how do I apply this to my everyday life? How do, how do I get this done effectively to be a witness to someone else for you? Because at the end of the day, I am your son. I am your servant and I am your friend. And I am doing what you are asking me to do, what you are telling me to do, and what you desire for me to do. And so we have to spend time with him and his word. And so in order to do that, we have to draw closer to him. And I want to use the illustration of this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. But in order to do that, um, I, have to, I have to really show you something. Uh, that I thought was kind of cute, cool. It may not really uh, register to you now, but I just think it's kind of cool because I love the way the Bible interlinks and really connects. So in Numbers chapter 21, there was this situation where these serpents are biting 
uh, the, the children of Israel as a punishment for their complaining so much. Uh, and so uh, these serpents, these fiery serpents are biting them. And the Lord tells Moses when they cry out, the Lord tells Moses, he says, create a brass serpent and put it on a pole and raise it up. And it will be that whoever looks upon this serpent shall be healed. Right. A little bit from that and still in Numbers 21, the people leave and they travel around to different places, but they come to a place called Beer. When they get to Beer, this is the place where Moses spoke to the rock and water came out. And so there is a well there at Beer. And when they get to Beer, they sing a song and the song starts out, spring up a well. This is not making sense to you right now. However, when you get to the third chapter of John, Nicodemus, a man, comes to Jesus at night secretly and he says to him, Rabbi, master, teacher, we know that you are a teacher sent from the Lord, right? He seems to know who Jesus is, seemingly, yeah. seems to know who he is. He talks to Jesus in private at nighttime where nobody else can see. He's talking to him. Jesus says immediately, Jesus starts talking to him about spiritual things because uh, Nicodemus is a man of uh, the council. He's, he's one of the leaders of the high priest council. He's what many people consider a Pharisee, right? He's a rich man. He's wealthy, right? Um, he comes to Jesus at night probably for fear of what the Pharisees will say about him for communicating with Jesus. And so he comes to him at night, and he, again, he seems to know who Jesus is, but Jesus starts talking to him about spiritual things that he has no clue about. How is it that, and this is, gets back to having the doctrine but not the devotion. How is it that he is skilled, an expert, a teacher of the people, sitting on a council that judges people and yet doesn't seem to know spiritual things? And so I caution you. I know I said you have to read the employee handbook in the beginning, but I caution you because just the book itself, people go to school to learn the book, but they never come into relationship with the spirit. They never have a connection with the owner of the establishment. Yes. And so this is a two-part thing. It's the what and the why of the matter. He says, Jesus will end up saying to the Samaritan woman, you don't know what you worship. You don't even know why you worship. Because you, if you don't know what you worship, how can you know why? You just worship the worship? What does worship mean? Right? And so Nicodemus is coming to him at night and Jesus says, straight out, you must be born again. Nicodemus is confused. How can this be? How can I be born again? Go I enter into my mother's womb? And Jesus starts talking to him in parables, and Nicodemus is taken back by the riddles. This is a man, again, who was skilled in the word. But he is, he is lost in the riddles, and Jesus starts talking to him about the wind. But, aha, Jesus mentions to him the serpent on a pole. And we don't really hear about the serpent on the pole in the Old Testament except two places. Numbers 21, and then we hear about it again when Hezekiah destroys it. Right? Those are the two places we hear about it. We don't hear about it again until we get to John chapter 3. So why is Jesus mentioning this? This is the, this is the, the serpent that was raised on the pole, so shall the Son of Man be raised up. John chapter 3. Jesus then leaves Nicodemus, a man, keep that in mind, a man who comes to him at night privately seemingly knowing who he is before he gets to talk to him. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher sent from God. Jesus must needs go through Samaria. So he's going through a traveling place. 
And I encourage you to look this up in Numbers chapter 21 to, to see what I'm saying to you in regard. I just think it's, it's so neat how the Bible connects. So in John chapter 4, he must needs go through Samaria. He comes to a well. The Bible tells us it's about the sixth hour, which according to our time would be roughly 12 o'clock. This woman comes to the well. She comes to the well and she's coming at 12 o'clock. Most women during this period would come to the well in dusk or dawn. They would come in the morning or right before nightfall in the evening. And they usually come in groups. This woman comes by herself, which says something about her status in the community. She is not accepted or welcome by other women. And we'll find out later why, but, uh, or probably why, but Jesus, being a well, sits at Jacob's well and says to her, give me to drink. She is looking for water. He is looking for something else. She is looking for something that applies and appeals to her flesh. The desire for water is, is a necessity that we have every day. The human body can go three days without water. After that, you can go over 40 days without food, but three days without water and you dehydrate. Your body is made up of 75% water. That's two thirds of your body. The earth itself is made up of 75% water. Water is essential to our existence. And she comes looking for something that is essential to her existence. Jesus is sitting at the well. She comes for one thing and finds something completely else. She's searching for one form of something and finds the other form of it. Jesus, on the other hand, is hungry his disciples have gone into the city to eat I know he's hungry because they've gone to get food and he's sitting there at this well he asked the woman for something to drink he's not hungry for physical food though we'll find out later on in the text that when his disciples urge him to eat he says to them I have food that you don't know of yes. and that food is he tells them that the harvest is plentiful what is the harvest? The harvest are those souls who are just waiting for you to witness to them, waiting for you to minister to them so that they too can come into the kingdom, so that they can reap the benefits that we find in the book, the benefits of fellowship and relationship with yeah. Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father. Yeah. And see, these are things that, that we have to be, one, skilled in the word and prayed up to be able to go out and minister to them. So Jesus is looking for food, but not in the natural sense. He's looking for spiritual food. Yeah. The woman is looking for natural sustenance in accordance, in according to water to quench her thirst. And you'll see how these things, how he transitions her to from looking for a natural, quenching a natural thirst to quenching her spiritual thirst. Yes, yes. I will stop here and just say that the overall scope of this text does not necessarily um, translate to the woman. And I, I'm, I'm, almost at a, I'm, I'm almost in a perplexed place because uh, I can't necessarily articulate this text to you in the way that I want because so many people have preached from this text before that you already have uh, preconceived notions about what I'm going to say, about what the text actually says, about uh, the, the woman and her husbands, about Jesus sitting on the well and it being Jacob's well and how can she know that he was an, an, a Jew and all of these things. And so some of the things that I'm talking about, I, I know because I sit in the seats sometimes, I go on tangents when I hear Pastor B preach or when I hear co-pastor preach or whoever's up here preaching. Sometimes I hear something and I go off on tangents and I'm thinking. And so just when you listen to it on a playback, just, just hear what the Spirit is trying to say to you. 
So she, she comes to this well in the daytime. She's wrong time. She's at the right place, but the wrong time, right? Yeah. And, and maybe because it's the wrong time, maybe it's the wrong place also. But it's funny how Jesus is always there when we don't expect him to be. Yeah. When we're not looking for him. When we're going to the club or the bar or we're going to the liquor store or we're going to, to uh, jail, which is where he met me or I met him. And so uh, we, we find him in the oddest of places. And he pulls us out of the situation. It's, it's not so much what we did that he is concerned about, but where he's trying to get us to. Yeah. What he's trying to get us to understand, because there are certain things that he talks to her about in this situation. And, and I've, heard, I've heard pastors or preachers try to articulate this, and they say that the woman thinks that Jesus is flirting uh, with her. But I don't see that in this text. I see that as being trivialized by what he's really talking about her to. He talks to her about politics. He talks to her about religion. And he talks to her about her social status. These are the things that I get out of this text. So where, where do you see flirting involved? I, I don't really get it. I think they focus so much on the husband's situation that they think that uh, she, she interprets his, um, his questioning or his desire for water to be a pass, him making a pass at her. But he talks to her, uh, he engages her about politics. The separation of Samaritan and Jews is much like the state of America today where we are so divided, we can't seem to focus on the matter at hand, the issues that really happen. Um, the, the problem with our society and with our culture is we have delved more and more into sin. It's not so much that, um, that this person is black and this person is white, and believe me, it has been divided to that thin of a line. We have cast everybody who is not white into a pool with those who are black, yes. right? And we're, to be honest with you, we are not even black. We are brown, people of color, but we've divided it into opposite ends of the spectrum. We have become so far away from each other, we are almost to the point where uh, we are like uh, Jesus said that your sins will be cast into a lake of fire and he will separate the, the remembrance of your sin as far as the east is from the west. And this is how we are on the spectrum of communicating, of unity between black and white in this country today. And this is where Jesus engages her, where he starts talking about salvation is of the Jews. This is the politics of it, right? The, the Samaritan woman says to him, how can you being a Jew talk to me, the Samaritan woman, when the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Well, why is that? Why don't they have dealings with them? If you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll find that uh, when the Jews came back, the Samaritans actually tried to help them in the book of Ezra. They tried to help them to rebuild the temple, but the Jews wanted nothing to do with them. Then the Samaritans turn around, and when Nehemiah is trying to build the wall, the Samaritans turn around and they try to sabotage them. This is Samballot. And so the Samaritans go away and they build their own temple. And they build their own temple on this mount in Samaria. I believe it's like Ger Gerizim or something like that. I don't know the exact pronunciation. G-E-R-I-Z-I-M. Um, and so they, um, they build their own temple. And they begin and they establish one of the priests who was actually um, trying to help. Who was actually married to a Jewish woman. And they go and they establish him as a priest. Later on in history, um, the Jews would eventually tear down the temple on the, on the Samaritan Mount. They would tear down this temple. So it's just been real bad relations between the Jews and the Samaritans. Later traditions of the Jews would try to establish that the Samaritans were not as bad as regular Gentiles, but they would rather eat with a dog than a Samaritan. Yeah. 
This is how bad their relationship was. And so when we start talking about the politics of this time frame, you have to understand that uh, Jews are, the, the nation of Israel uh, is under Roman oppression. And so you have Hellenistic Greeks and you have Samaritans and you have Jews of a high status at this time trying to figure out, uh, you know, where their place is and when shall they be set free from oppression. They come back from Babylon, and here's, here's the funny thing, and this is the problem I have with racism in America today. The Samaritans, if you read in 2 Kings chapter 17, starting at like the 24th verse, the 23rd or 24th verse, you'll read where the northern kingdom was resettled by the Assyrians. What they did was they took most of the Jews off into an exile, the, the northern kingdom, most of Israel off into an exile, but they left some farmers there they didn't take everybody the land still had to be cultivated so some farmers were left behind they intermingled those people with uh people from different regions because when the assyrians conquered people what they would do is they would take people from different regions and place them in, in other regions so that way they couldn't gain unity and try to revolt so that that's the reason why they did it these people intermingle and intermarry with the jews that are in the land so these people are still jewish in a sense right take the southern kingdom gets exiled to babylon they also intermingle with the babylonians they come back and so you you basically have people the, the woman says it when she's talking to jesus and so you get a hint of it but you basically have people who are the still the same race but why don't they get along is it that they're from the same land they're from the same region we here in america we're, I ain't never been to Africa. I've been to Germany. I ain't never been to Africa. I know people who are racist against me because I'm considered black and they're racist because they say, oh, your ancestors came from this country or your skin color is this color, but we were born here, yes. just like you. You ain't never been to Ireland. You ain't never been to England, Germany. Matter of fact, I've been where you ain't been. So how can you be racist? We both born here. We are American. That is our race. Yes. So why the hatred? Some people hold on to their hatred because if they release it, then they have to deal with their pain. In releasing your hatred, you often have to confront what is causing that hatred. And it usually stems from some sort of anger or some sort of pain. And so initially she has to deal when Jesus says salvation is of the Jews, she has to deal with this because your salvation is coming through the race that you think hates you. Yes. That's a hard thing to deal with, to be confronted with. He goes on and he starts confronting her about religion. And this is a focal point that, that I really want to focus on. So I'm going to kind of push that to the last right at the end. And I want to talk to you about her social status. He confronts her about her social status and he says, go get your husband. She says to him, I don't have a husband. He said, you have said well, for you have had five husbands and the one you with now is kind of a, a situation, right? It's an issue. He's not your husband. What we miss and what I have never heard anybody preach because nobody takes into account Nicodemus. You know where I'm going. I can see it in your face. Nobody takes into account Nicodemus. I told you Jesus is hungry, the woman is thirsty. Jesus says to her, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you've had five husbands and the one you are with now is not your husband. 
we automatically associate that with the woman's social status. What it is associating to is the land itself of Samaria. I just told you that the land, Jesus must needs to go through it, but it's still is all of it. Samaria is still Israel. You have to go through the Samaria. He's going to Galilee. Judea is in the south. Samaria is in the middle. Galilee is in the north. If you look at a map, it'll show you. You have to go through Samaria. Most most Jews would rather cross over the Jordan and go around through the Gadarenes to come up to Galilee because they didn't want to go through Samaria. That's how bad the relationship was. Jesus said, I must needs go. And he comes to a well that was dug by Jacob. And the woman says to her, are you greater than Jacob? Says to him, sorry, are you greater than Jacob, right? Our father, which tells you her heritage. Jesus tells her about her husband's. The situation that's happening here is Samaritans were idolatrous. Jesus is trying to talk to a Jewish man in the chapter before about spiritual things. This Samaritan woman, he's trying to talk to her also about spiritual things, but he approaches her from a fleshly, from a natural manner initially. And he starts talking to her about who is the head of your household? Who, who do you serve? Keep this in mind. This woman is different from most women of the time. She, she comes in a public place. Nicodemus came in, in, in secret. She comes in the afternoon, right? Public place in the afternoon, daylight. He comes in secret at night where nobody can see. Jesus talks to her publicly. A Jewish man talking to a Samaritan, period, is considered wrong according to Jews. Remember, they'd rather eat with dogs than eat with a Samaritan. But now he's talking to a woman. Men often had no dealings with women, especially one-on-one, -on -one, right? And so she's been divorced five times at a time where women can't write certificates of divorce. And so he's talking to her about spiritual, keep that in mind, keep your spiritual goggles on because he's hungry and he's trying to get her to see the man that you are with now, she's with him. Not the man back home, but she's standing there talking to him and he's saying, I'm not yet your Lord. Is basically what he's saying to her. And he's trying to get her to see where her state is. And I know this is what she's, what she's starting to see because she says to him, I perceive. So she has a perception. Nicodemus had knowledge. Mm -hmm. She had, she came to a revelation. She gets this perception that he is a prophet, that he's able to see and hear from God spiritual things. And when he does this, she leaves her water pots. We move then from a spiritual, we move then from her seeking to quench a natural thirst to quenching a spiritual thirst. And this is where we are, even in the body of Christ, we need to start quenching our spiritual thirst, trying to get this water. Jesus says, I will give you water that, that, that would basically, you would never thirst again. You will become a well of living water. Living waters will gush out of you. You will begin to help other people and be able to give other people to drink because you have spent time with the Lord, because you have been in his word, because you have studied to show yourself approved, because you have a defense to give to those who come to you, be it atheists, Jehovah Witness, Mormons, Masons, uh, Muslims, whoever. You have a defense because you know the word. You are skilled. You are skilled. 
Paul says, uh, I believe it's Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews, but he says at the end of Hebrews, you, you, you are not skilled. You, you are babes who simply have milk. And I'm not talking to you, this general gathering here. I'm just saying in general, when, when you are not skilled in the word, you as babes. Neglected is the child who was never taught. It is not okay to not grow up. Or it is okay to not grow up. My bad. Neglected is the child who was taught it's okay to never grow up. Is basically what I'm trying to say to you. You have to grow up. You have, and Paul said, I have many things to say to you, to teach you, but you are not able to handle them. Even Jesus said that to us. You can't handle it right now. I have many things to say to you, but right now you can't handle it. And so in order to grow up, you got to get in the word. You got to get into the deep things. Get away from just the, the milk of the word. And, and in chapter 6 of Hebrews, Paul starts to talk about how we shall go on from repentance, from dead works, the laying on of hands. These are small things. These are small things, and yet we struggle with them in today's church, in today's body. We struggle with the small things. And so Jesus is moving on to, to, to bring her into spiritual things, and I know this because she leaves the water that she came for. This is what she came for, and she leaves it because she's obtained something else. Jesus' disciples come back, and they are trying to urge him to eat and He's already obtained what he needs because now he says to them, basically, I'm not hungry. I have food that you know nothing of. And so everybody has been satisfied, but here's the deal. She now goes back to the city. His disciples went to the marketplace. This is so dope. His disciples go to the marketplace to get natural food. He tells them, I'm not hungry. I have food that you know nothing of. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, right? She leaves the water from which she came, for what she came for. She leaves that and she goes and the Bible says she talks to the men of the city. The men would be in the marketplace because the men do business. So she now goes to the marketplace not to obtain natural food, but to obtain spiritual food to bring back to Jesus. Many people believe because she tells them this man could possibly be the Christ. He has told me things that I did not know about. He has told me things, he has told me things about my life, right? Told me everything I ever did. She brings the people back to him. They urge Jesus to stay. Closing statement. They talked about religion. And when I was a kid, I hated church. I hated church because um, I was baptized at 10 years old. Everybody was happy that I was getting baptized except my grandfather. My grandfather was a minister, a pastor, a preacher, uh, probably an apostle. I don't know. He, he founded uh, two churches and at the um, toward the end of his life, he was doing a Bible study. Um, I didn't necessarily have to attend those Bible studies, but I used to have to set up the chairs. It was in his own house and I used to have to set up the chairs and I would have to take the chairs down when, when they were done. And I remember seeing the people and I remember just being a kid walking through the house and listening to some of those conversations and they were not godly at all. Um, whether my grandfather knew about it or not is of no concern, but when he found out that I wanted to get baptized and basically what happened is I was in Little Rock Baptist Church in Camden, New Jersey. You may know it, you may not. And, um, I saw people getting baptized and I was so bored that I decided it would be fun to go swimming at a time when everyone else was bored. And so I said to the woman who had adopted me, uh, I said to her, I said, I want to do that. And I didn't even know what that was. I just knew that they got to play in water. 
<laughs> 10 years old. And so um, she talks to the, the correct clergy that she needs to talk to to get me involved. And they take me into a room. And they start talking to me about Jesus, and I'm just yan at this point. I'm not even hearing, I'm Charlie Brown. One thing that did stick with me, though, they said, you do know you're an angel until you were 12. This will, again, add to why I hate you going to church. Um, you're an angel until you're 12. And <laughs> uh, so, so... Um, she said, or uh, rather, the the deacon who was who was saying this stuff to me, uh, I said, yeah, you know, I understand that, but I still want to get baptized. Basically, I still wanted to go swimming, is what I was trying to. And so my grandfather knew my heart. I don't know if it's because he just knew me so well, or if he knew as a kid I had no understanding. So he set me down one day. It's a weekday in the summer, and um, I wanted to watch Woody Woodpecker so bad. And I just remember him telling me the story of Nicodemus and having to be born again. And I remember him laughing about Nicodemus's response about entering into his mother's womb. And I don't know if it was just um, my love for my grandfather that made me listen to him despite my desire to want to go and watch cartoons. But I heard everything that he was saying about how you have to be born again. And to this day, I've never, and, and I don't know why, and I told, I shared this with Troy the last time he was here, Pastor Troy. I said, I've never had a question about the Trinity. I've always understood it. I don't know why. I don't know why. I've always understood one being in three persons or one being who presents himself in three different ways. Yes. I've never had a problem understanding that. I know people who minister the gospel that can't understand it or can't explain it that simply even when i said it to pastor troy he says to me he goes wow almost like that's cool that you did that that fast right god god the father is god over us god the son is god with us god the holy spirit is god in us simple one being three persons simple if you have a problem with what I just said, go to, is the scripture that I want you to write down, go to Isaiah 48, chapter 48, verse 16. You will see clearly, clearly the Trinity. Clearly. It's, it's a clear picture where whoever it is that's talking is clearly not Isaiah, right? Because he says, I have been there before time. And then he says, he says, God and his spirit will send me. So it's three people. One of them is talking about the other two. <laughs> so you see it clearly you also see it in Psalms chapter 2 you hear a conversation of, of God in heaven talking to the son and then the son talking to the Holy Spirit it's a conversation going on and so when, when you study the word and you start talking to these different, these different religions one of the things that I want to point out that you have to study and this goes back to talking to the Mormons they believe in something called modalism and modalism is that God ceases to, or, or not just the, the Mormons, they do believe in, in the Trinity, but they believe that God is three different gods, right? And even the Holy Spirit, their belief about the Holy Spirit contradicts their doctrine, which is weird to me. But uh, Muslims believe that um, God, when he ceases to be in heaven and he comes down to earth, that he ceases to exist in heaven. And this is called modalism. When you stop being God the Father and is God the Son, he ceases to be exist to exist in heaven anymore because he's here on earth and if he's going to be the holy spirit he ceases to be jesus it's called modalism and it's it's um 
there was an argument about this back in like uh, one of the, I want to say like the first or second century. There was an argument about this, but this is something again that you can look into and that you can study for yourself. Um, and so Jesus starts talking to this woman about religion and what they're talking about is the place of worship the place of worship and, and i think we miss this point because we get so fixated on spirit and in truth we miss one little word and this goes back to pastor b when he was like uh how many i think you said how many eyes are in this are in this phrase and you miss the ifs right because you're so busy focused on the bigger words with the eyes at the beginning you miss that you miss it's like one little if tucked away in there and so they're talking about the place of worship we worship on this mountain you guys say that jerusalem is a, is where you worship jesus tells her number one you don't know what you worship for salvation is of the jews we dealt with that already you have no idea what you worship then he says but the day is coming the hour is coming and now is where you will worship in spirit and truth for god is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit it's not about a building she's talking to him about a building he's saying it's not about a building it's not about a temple y'all have these disputes the political stances you're having a, a dispute about the temples who has the correct temple it, it got so bad with the political disputes that it spilled into even their doctrines were different where they started cutting things off and so it, it's not about this flesh it's not about this natural building it's about the spirit and don't get me wrong i understand the necessity to come to church but it, it was so much that i had to unlearn because i wasn't reading the book because I wasn't spending time with the Holy Spirit. My father used to call me when I would stay the night out. My niece is back here. I would stay the night out at my best friend's house, um, his, uh, her, her father, uh, when we were teenagers. And my dad would call me up 5 o'clock in the morning. And I would have to walk two miles to the bus uh, from Blackwood, or from, I'm sorry, from Somerdale to Blackwood to catch the bus to Sickleville to be to church by 9 o'clock. This made me hate church even more. Then when I got to the church, I really didn't like the church that we was going to because you was in church all day, all Sunday. God forbid you had a second service. You wasn't getting home until 12 in the morning. And then, I mean, it was, it was, and for a teenager, there weren't many teens there. There was like me, my brother Jordan, and maybe like the pastor's son. And so it was like three teenagers there. Everybody was like over 60 and everybody was talking about everybody else. And I was so used to hearing these conversations at my grandfather's house that it just became like, oh, this is what Christians do. They just talk about each other. And so I didn't want to be a part of that. Here's the funny thing. Getting up and walking two miles on Sunday prepared me for the military. I didn't see it at the time. I didn't know that that's what it was preparing me for. But it prepared me. Having a father like I had and the times that I got to live with him prepared me for the military. Because <laughs> he would literally come in and kick your bed and be like, get up, and then leave. And he'd be like, what the? Good morning to you, too. And so, and so those walks, when I got to the military, it became, it got to the point where I was running two miles in like 11 minutes. It was, I mean, the road marches were nothing because I was already doing that. I was already doing it. And God was preparing me for the next stage of my life in this stage of my life. And not only that, 
when I finally did accept the Lord, really, really accept him as my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I got to the point where I didn't know who to call. I was locked in a German jail cell and nobody would answer the phone. Nobody would accept the collect call. And I didn't even call him. He came to me. And I'm laying in bed one night. I'm sorry. Um, there was a, a gentleman who got there the day after I got to the jail, the prison, and left the day before. And he was locked up for something that he had did four years prior. He was a minister. He would make note to me that he arrived in a silver vehicle. <laughs> I didn't know what he meant at the time. I do know now. Silver is redemption. It represents the blood of Christ, right? So him making note of that to me was just, just funny. Um, I didn't know what he meant at the time. I do now, and, and I see. Got there the day after, left the day before I did. He gave me this book called From Prison to Praise. And it was about a military officer who had joined the military back in um, World War II. And uh, he was a real bad dude, got in a lot of trouble, was supposed to get locked up, ended up joining the military as a result because he didn't want to go to jail. When he gets to, um, when he gets, he gets overseas and he's sitting there and there are these mortar shells coming into his position at his bunker. And he's looking at the guy across from him and he don't want to be no punk. So he don't move because he sees the guy across from him is not moving. So the mortar shells are coming in and each one is getting closer and closer and closer and they stop literally 10 feet in front of his bunker the last mortar shell hits boom so much so that he thought about moving at that point but he kept looking at the dude and if the dude didn't move he wasn't going to move so later on he comes across they leave the bunker he comes across the dude later on a day or two later and he says to the guy he says hey how did you know that the mortar shells were going to stop and the guy says i didn't I don't want to live no more. And I just thought that was the easier way of taking my life. He said at that point, I realized I had to know things for myself. Yeah. I wasn't going to follow just what people tell me. Yes. And that's the gist of this message that I'm trying to tell you. Know him for yourself. This woman comes to know him for herself. And she brings other people and she goes out and she tells them. She tells them about him. And they come to meet him for their self. And in verse 40 and 41, they start talking to her and they say to her, it's not just because of what you said. We know him for ourselves now. Yeah. He is the Christ. And once you get to know him for yourself, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You get to know him for yourself. And the only way to do that is to get in his word. It's to spend time in devotion with the Holy Spirit in prayer. Sometimes, sometimes I'll just go in the kitchen because we don't have a prayer closet right now. This is one of the reasons why we're believing for the house um, that we're believing for is because we at one time when we lived on our in our own place, we had a place designated. It was a room. There was nothing in it but a cushion that we used basically as an altar. Um, it was just a cushion and a, and a small rug right in the middle because it was just a concrete floor. And so it was a small rug right in the middle. Um, and so we would literally, my wife and I, sometimes together, sometimes just individually. And I mean, we would get up anytime, anytime we felt like the Lord was waking us up. And when I tell you how easy it was 
to go into that room where nobody was, where nobody could stop you, where nobody could hear you, and you could close the door, and you could just worship, not even ask him for anything. How sweet that feeling is, how sweet his presence was, when you can just go into that room. Y'all don't. I I know you know because you you got that room and it's just like just that room just sometimes I would just open the Bible and walk around and read the scriptures out loud didn't matter what it said didn't matter nothing God would just and throughout the day he would bring those scriptures back to remember see this that you read this morning this is what I was talking to you about you see it don't you right you see it and so I mean it's it's those moments it's those moments I'm locked in this cell and um, I'm laying there after reading this book and I'm still trying to read the book. There used to be a, a guard tower that would shine its light through the window and I would be able to hold the book up and read. And usually I would get real funky with the guards when they would try to tell me. And so most of them left me alone when they would try to tell me to do something. Uh, so most of them left me alone, but I don't know if this dude was new or what. And so he shines his light in my hut and he goes, um, put the book up. And I went to go say something to him and I heard this voice in my head said, God wouldn't like that. Almost like he heard what I was going to say before I said it. And so I folded the book up. I tucked it under my bunk. And I heard this voice. Honestly, honestly, God, I'm closing. I'm closing. Honestly, God, I said everything I need to say. Uh, Honestly, God, truth. I heard this voice say to me, follow me and all your dreams will come true. I don't know if that was in a literal sense of where you dream something and it will come to pass, which has happened quite a bit. Even the time when I got out of jail, I won't tell you what happened, but even before I got out of jail, I had a dream about when I got out and it actually happened exactly the way uh, when I got out. And there have been several dreams since then. So I don't know if he was saying that, like I'm going to be talking to you through your dreams and visions and give you the ability to interpret them. Or if he was saying, if you can dream it, I can do it. And I will do it because that's my promise to you. And there have been things, I I wanted a wife. He gave me the best wife that I could possibly have. Perfect for me. Nobody else knows me like she does. I asked him for a daughter. He gave me a daughter even when we weren't trying to have a daughter. (laughs) Like we literally took precautions to not have a child for a year. And here she is. Born, born Born on the day to the date that me and her started talking. One year later, and she was supposed to come the day before, and she ended up coming one year later to the date. August 28th, me and her at a pool party, we started talking. August 28th, following year, Naree shows up. God has fulfilled things, and this is, this is what I'm saying. There are promises that he made me. That sometimes I have to go back and look at and encourage myself. I know, I know sometimes you do need, you need that motivational speaking. You do need it. But you need more than anything to know that if Christ can die, be buried, and raised again according to the scriptures, the same power that worked to raise him from the dead is working in you. So that no matter what you face, you too can be risen out of that situation. And sometimes that's all you need to hold on to. Bible says David encouraged himself in the yes. Lord. Yes. He encouraged himself. Yeah. I, I, I contended with the church one time and I said, um, David, I will contend with you that David fought uh, Goliath with faith and a promise more so than with a rock and a slingshot. That he went and fought Goliath because at that point Samuel had already prophesied to him and anointed him nonetheless that he would be king. 
And so it wasn't the rock and the slingshot that David had faith in, but rather the promise of God. And so he could go out there and stand before Goliath and be confident because he had already had a seal on the promise. What has God promised you today that has not yet come to pass and that you are waiting on? And if you don't have that, ask for something. See what he says to you. And see what he says to you. And then see if he won't do it. You need a personal relationship with the Lord. That's, that's what this text is about. This text is the woman coming into a personal relationship and then the people of the city coming into a, a personal relationship and knowing him for themselves. I understand. I, too, watch the preachers on TBN, World Star, uh, uh, World Star, Word Star, uh, the Word Network. Uh, even on YouTube, sometimes I look for specific topics that I want to hear. I watch debates a lot um, on YouTube uh, between just people ministering on the street. Because this is this is where my heart is. I don't just want to reach people who don't believe or people who have a meager understanding of, uh, you know, we grow up in houses with big mama and grandpa and they teach us basics about the word and they teach us traditions. I have a heart also to minister to people who believe something else that contradicts the word. And so this is why when I tell people. You know, like I'm at, at the point where we were walking and we, we were talking uh, to the to the Mormons. It was just this. I'm enjoying time with my wife. And you insist. So since you insist, <laughs> I'm going to let you have what you asked for. And so I, I just, I don't know. Sometimes it, it finds you. And that's why it's good to be prepared in and out of season. Because you never know when the devil is going to try to throw a rock at you. You never know when he's going to attack your faith. Right? I see this quite a bit nowadays. I see ministers of the gospel who walk away from the faith. I get every, almost every, I won't say every day, almost every week, I get a message sent to me about your friend. Have you seen this? Do you know this man? And I'm like, I'm like, why is this? I, I keep asking the Lord, like, why, why do they, you know? And sometimes I respond to the message, what he's saying is not true. Somebody actually came in the house and said they were interested in something that he said about Egypt having more doctrine about Jesus than uh, the than Jerusalem and Israel. And I said to that person, I said, you are familiar. And this is a skilled person in the word. And I said, you are familiar uh, with Gnosticism and the Gnostic Gospels. And I said, Gnosticism arose in Alexandria, Egypt. And so for that reason, they have fabled tells of Jesus. Why would Egypt have more doctrine about Jesus when he left there when he was two years old? And the first time that we hear about Jesus preaching is actually in Jerusalem when he's 12. Why would, why does that even make sense to you that you would feel the need to mention that to me? Well, I just wanted to look into it. No, that's tearing down your faith. Is If you want to look into Gnosticism, fine, but take it for what it is. It depletes the humanity of Christ. He was totally human and totally, or is totally human and totally God all at once. Has to be. And so when you get into Gnosticism, that's what it's talking about. But you have to be rooted and founded in the word in order to start getting into those things. And I don't want to get too deep in that, but you have to spend time in the word and spend time with the Holy Spirit. That's the gist of the message, a personal relationship with God, with Christ. God bless you. Amen. Amen.
Listen to the King James Radio Network by downloading the Spreaker app to your phone or tablet. Spreaker is spelled S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R. You can find it in the App Store on your iPhone or on Google Play for Android users. Thank you for listening to this episode of Restoration Place on the King James Radio Network. We hope that you have been encouraged and until next time, little prayer, little power. Lot of prayer, lot of power. No prayer, no power. Have a blessed week. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.